Welcome back to Bubble Trouble, the training set for every skeptical large language model out there, with my caustic critic and co-host and independent analyst Richard Kramer, that's him, and then myself, the economist, author, music geek, and unrelenting statistic nerd, Will Page. So, this week, we're looking at the iceberg that is advertising. It's all around us, and don't really see it, and half the time we don't even acknowledge it. But it is advertising, and it's a huge business, and it's frequently touted as the first to suffer and the first to recover on the economic cycle. But it's also counter-cyclical, since you need to sell harder in tougher times. And now that we're seeing wobbles in economic data, some serious haircuts and tech exits, and layoffs in the great and the good, it seems only right that we double down on this massive global ad market this week to see if it's suffering, and if it is, might there be troubles ahead for the rest of us? Back in a moment. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So Richard, welcome back to this week's podcast. We're going to ask you to do for our audience what you've been doing for your audience all week, which is explain what the heck is going on in advertising. Just to kind of break the ice on this iceberg, what I've always said is, when you talk to me about advertising, I just go straight back to that famous John Wanamaker quote. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. And as the economist in me, you're giving me a ratio, and I'm thinking, what does that actually mean? You know, what does that mean if... It was more than half was wasted. Do I have to advertise even more? Or if it's less than half that's wasted, do I need to advertise even less? How does that ratio play out in markets? Point being, this market is imperfect. It's imperfect by nature. It's imperfect by design. It doesn't function to its 100% capacity. And that makes it wobbly. And that gives us an essence of what we're looking for in the ingredients of bubble trouble. Richards, let's start with some basics here. And the first question I want to ask is the size of the market, not just bombarding our audience with numbers of zeros behind these huge ad companies, but give us some context about how big the advertising market is and how big the obvious two giants are within it. Are we talking about you know, companies the size of a large European economy or maybe even a bigger economy? How big is advertising? So the global advertising market this year should be about $900 billion, so just short of a trillion dollars, and around 80% of that, or $700 billion, is going to digital advertising, which is, which is actually growing faster and mostly coming out of two areas. One area is social media, where we get personalized, algorithm-driven content and ads, and because we all signed the data donation agreement with those leading platforms that we watch every day... <laughs> You got we copyright on that give term. them the, the means to find out exactly what we're interested in. And the other sec- section of advertising that's growing very fast is called retail media. And, and think of that as sort of the, the sponsored listing or product ads you see on any e-commerce website. So that's when one brand or another is trying to get your attention when you start with a generic search term like coffee machines or bottled water. And, and the thing about this last category is that spend used to go to physical retailers when you walk into their shops and they'd want to place an, uh, an item either at eye level or down near the floor if they weren't willing to spend as much. Well, that simply shifted online to their websites where the minute you're searching for something, uh, or you, you might be shown a related product, or when you search for a particular category, someone is going to try to get the the first listing or first slot in front of your face. 
And, and it it's might slow. be a related product, for example, if you search on your, your grocery retailer for tinned tomatoes, they might surface an ad for a brand of olive oil or pasta because they, they kind of sense the direction your purchases are moving in. Now, you just used the word slot there, and that was on my mind because I've heard people argue that with Amazon, they have an advertising market that's bigger than AWS now, but it's not necessarily advertising. It's more akin to slotting fees. Is that a better characterization of what Amazon Yeah, so, so that retail media business used to be part of a trade marketing budget. Uh, so you'd think, okay, I'm going to fill my local uh, pharmacy retailer with product, and all these different brands of shampoo and 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 um, pain reliever and, and toothpaste are all fighting for a certain amount of shelf space. Now, Amazon has a $45 billion advertising business, not as big as AWS, but a, a, one of the fastest growing advertising businesses. And what they're doing is they're monetizing your visit to Amazon by effectively auctioning you as a buyer to the highest bidder in a category, whether it's toothpaste or, or tin tomatoes or anything else you might buy from Amazon. So that's that retail media spend that's linked to e-commerce. And that is the fastest growing category because as our purchases move online, that's where the advertising dollars are flowing. That's where the transaction, transaction clicks are flowing too. Now, I'm an advertising novice. You're an advertising nerd. Let's assume that the rest of our audience are novices like me. My understanding of advertising comes from that great author and previous guest of the show, Rick Webb, in his blog post, Which Half is Wasted, where he talks about brand advertising, what are the signals, the impressions, the billboards that make me think I need to buy a new pair of trainers, then direct advertising, I want that pair of New Balance size 10 trainers right now. What's the journey that advertising takes before I actually transact with a new pair of trainers, which I do actually need to buy? But that's literally where my understanding of advertising stops. So fill in the gaps and push me a bit further upstream. So there's something that has been well established in marketing lore called the, the purchase funnel or the, or the marketing funnel. And at the top of it, you have something called awareness. Are you simply aware of a particular brand of running shoe? You may never have heard of Hoka or On Running before. You may have only known Adidas uh, and, and, and New Balance and... And, and Nike, but but they the, the start of a customer journey starts with that awareness. And that's where brand spending is. And brand spending can also be to remind you of a brand. I mean, we all know Coca-Cola or McDonald's, but the reason they advertise their brands is to remind you that they're still there and you might want to come back for a visit. So you start at the top of the funnel with this awareness and brand advertising. Just, just know about us. And then you move down the funnel through something called, and I'm really simplifying this, something called consideration. Would you think about, once you're aware of running shoes uh, brands, would you think about another brand other than the one that you're, you're wearing? Um, so that is that consideration. Or can you be swayed towards something else? And then the performance end of advertising is closest to purchase, right? That's where... You're, you've been on the, re the, the sporting goods retailer website. You've checked out a couple of brands. You then went away. And guess what? One of those brands is going to pay to put a banner advertisement on a website you visit the next day to say, hey, by the way, there's 20% off on, on Saucony or Brooks or another brand of running shoes to try to, to try to get you to nudge you down to the bottom of the purchase funnel when you actually click buy. And there's another great example of that, which is the airline. So a lot of times you will check those flights, see what the prices are, but you won't deal. And again, you'll see a, a, an advertising type called retargeting where you'll go to a, a website the next day and you'll see, hey, EasyJet to Portugal. Hey, I was just looking for those flights. And by the way, there's a promotion or something to tell you the prices are going up. We want to nudge you down that purchase funnel and get you to buy the product. So a lot of that advertising is designed depending on where you are in the funnel, how well known the brand is, how frequently you purchase the product, and, and what they know about you. Because no point trying to get you to buy a, a super expensive pair of running shoes. You run too slow and you're too cheap. It does that. Earlier today, I was learning about cranberry juice and the way that marketing and advertising worked for that, thanks to 
one very famous TikTok clip of a guy hanging off the back of a truck, drinking cranberry juice and singing Dreams by Fleetwood Mac, recorded in 1981. Over 300 million views of that clip within the first six months. And <laughs> the point being, cranberry juice started selling because of the TikTok clip. So all of a sudden, there's a whole new brand of, of a product that's been in existence for 90 years. It's found a whole new use case thanks to somebody hanging off the back of a truck. Advertising in 2024, come on in. Now, we get how advertising works. We all know who the big players are in terms of placing those ads, the Googles, the Facebooks. We know the big players are in creating those ads, the Ogilvies of this world. What headwinds and tailwinds do you think advertising is going to see, given it's so sensitive to market conditions? It's the first thing a CFO will cut is a marketing budget. When they think they're coming out of the woods, it's the first thing a CFO will expand is a marketing budget. This is a real bellwether for a podcast called Bubble Trouble. So give me a handful of headwinds, and if there are any, give me a handful of tailwinds that this sector is going to see in 24. Sure. And again, uh, apologies to anyone who's listening in who's who's steeped in the digital ads world because I'm going to grossly simplify things here. But some of the headwinds, the, the, the biggest and obvious one is you start with $650 billion of digital ad spend. And while no one wants to be missed out in, in search advertising, you don't want someone to search for your brand and you don't provide them an ad to, to take you to their website and you don't want to disappear from view for consumers, uh, you know, replacing that amount of spend in a difficult economy is tough. So that's the, the first big headwind. And, and obviously what comes alongside that is economic sensitivity. Now, the next big headwind is category, category by category. And I'll give you a great example of that. Last year was a terrible year for linear TV advertising in the U.S. Why? Because all of those youth audiences were shifting their time spent, the place where ads would be served to them, the, 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 those hours in the day when you were exposed to advertising, to social media. They were all watching TikTok or, or Instagram Reels or YouTube Shorts or on Snapchat instead of tuning into TV. And that TV audience for traditional programming is quite simply, with a few exceptions like sports, dying out. And, and can uh, I just ask, yeah. sorry to, to yeah. break your flow, Richard, but just for our audience, has there been an element of inertia there? You're saying that happened last year, as in advertisers recognized it happened, but it has actually been going on for many years prior. That is, the advertising market is catching up with consumer trends. Yeah, it, it is. And it also, again... When you have a global market, which is six or seven hundred billion dollars in digital ad spend, and you have some players like Meta, which are growing at twenty percent, well, one of the key things that all of those content providers or social media platforms are trying to do is to convince advertisers not only do they have the biggest audience and the most data about that audience but they are the most effective places for them to expose audiences to brands or performance ads and sell more stuff. So we reached a bit of a tipping point where linear TV, where they had raised their prices for a decade relentlessly, started losing that battle to the digital platforms who are much larger, much more sophisticated with that first party data. They have logged in users and so forth. And equally, it reflects a, a shift in the global economy from big companies spending a lot of money on big brand advertising to small and medium-sized enterprises, all those direct-to-consumer brands, all those local businesses that are now empowered to advertise just in their local area on a social media platform instead of buying nationwide TV spots. So democratization of access. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of advertisers, the majority of the Meta's and Google's advertising revenue comes from small and medium-sized enterprises. And a lot of those folks are putting down a credit card and spending a few hundred pounds or dollars a month just to advertise. For example, if you're a new coffee shop or butcher, butchery or, or cheese shop in Kentish Town, you don't need to advertise south of the river. You don't need to advertise in Sheffield or Sunderland. You just need to advertise to everybody in a, in a five-kilometer radius of Kentish Town that might come or pass through, and that's your target market, and they allow you just to target those users. That's something that the linear TV folks don't really do. Um, just as we sort of work our way through headwinds and tailwinds, 
I'm sure if you mentioned China, there's going to be more headwinds and tailwinds facing that economy. The Chinese must have a big impact on the global advertising market as well, surely. They do. And China is one of the bigger global advertising markets. It's not nearly as large as some of the big European markets and certainly the U.S. market. But there was an interesting phenomenon last year in that as the China domestic market failed to grow, you had all of those merchants in China who were producing all of those goods in their factories and they needed to find a home for them. And you had the China internet companies looking for growth, not finding it in the domestic market. And what they did is attack the overseas market. So you heard of companies like Xi'an or, or Timu or Alibaba's AliExpress or Trendyall or Lazada in Southeast Asia or now coming up TikTok shops. They all took the products from those low-cost Chinese merchants, figured out a cheap way to ship them abroad, and started investing like crazy to build up app installs to get people to download their apps and gave them real incentives, coupons or gamified, you know, spin-to-win mm -hmm. plans so that they could start selling to consumers outside of China. And they were tremendously access successful. They built up tens of billions of dollars of gross merchandise value, and they are really presenting an enormous challenge, not so much to the Amazons of the world, because they have a lot of middle-class households locked down with their Prime subscription, but a lot of those second-tier e-commerce players and, and brands are really struggling in the face of that, that, that Chinese onslaught. And it's the, the inverse, if you will, of the slowing Chinese economy domestically. And again, as you articulate this this mad men market of advertising, you drop words in that make me want to jump. You mentioned Xi'an. I kind of got tired of hearing just how big Xi'an had become. First, it had overtaken H&M, then it had overtaken Zara, then it had overtaken the size of H&M and Zara combined. And it just seemed to come out of nowhere. Can you just give our audience a quick primer on this phenomenal Chinese success story? Why Xi'an and not anyone else? What made it so special? Well, you, there are other companies that are doing a similar role as Xi'an, and certainly H&M and Zara will have a similar approach in, in going direct to those Chinese manufacturers, sourcing fast fashion products that change very quickly. Famously, Zara, the two weeks after 9-11, had changed all its shops to be carrying black clothing because that was the, the zeitgeist. And, and, you know, if there's a, something that shows up on the runway of an of a, of a absolute luxury fashion brand, two weeks later, there'll be a Chinese factory that's, that's produced uh, a, a fast fashion version of it and is in every Zara and H&M shop. And the Sheehan's of the world took that um, manufacturing to consumer model and shorten the supply chain. So they don't have the expensive real estate in, on Oxford Street or elsewhere of the H&M shops. They don't have the, the corporate infrastructure and overhead. That luggage, that and the Zara's old do. model luggage of fashion that slows you down. They just got rid of it. Right. And, and they also have surfed on the fact that for the moment, uh, the youth seem to be less concerned about sustainability with fast fashion than they are about buying something for nine pounds that, you know, if you bought the luxury goods version of it would cost 900. The more perishable a good is, the more you got to replace it, the more turnover you're going to achieve. Clever formula. Absolutely. Not <laughs> right, good for the world, thing. but, you know, that's definitely helped the Chinese internet companies. Would the great Mark tell us, yeah, sure, I've got principles. And if you don't like them, I got other principles. Absolutely. So, all right. So there's some headwinds in the market that we've placed in. Now talk to me about the tailwinds that could be affecting advertising in 24. There's a really simple tailwind that has been driving this incredible growth in digital advertising to $650 billion. That's $230 billion at, at Google and $130 billion at, at Meta, $50 billion nearly at, at Amazon. And that's the fact that we've constantly shifted our time spent within our lives into those digital domains. And that creates two things. It creates more and more potential time for inventory of ads to be shown to people. And it allows that relentless digital exhaust that we leave behind to be used for targeting. So every click, uh, every pause that you make in a, in a video, the type of content you, you watch, when you watch it, and your postcode, all of that goes into feeding you 
very ever more targeted ads. Now you'd think that there was an efficiency gain here that we would be able to spend the same thing every year but get better and better performance. But of course, you know, these big companies want to grow, so their aim is to convince more and more advertisers to give them more and more of their budget. But what you'd find if you asked the big platforms, how do you see me, is you'd be categorized into multiple buckets. You're a sports enthusiast. You're a music enthusiast. You're a parent of teenage daughters. You have all these different categories they'd slot you into, and each one of them is attractive as a segment to particular producers and service providers that want to advertise, they want to reach you. And you constantly are, are feeding people a stream of clicks and information about how you slot into those different categories. So that's a huge tailwind that our time spent is moving ever more digital. And that digital advertising inventory is easier and easier to create. I, I hear that. And if I can expand on that one out a little, the Duolingo effect. The number one reason people don't learn a foreign language is they don't have enough time. The number one reason why Duolingo has been so successful is it's found that time. It's acquired that time. It's worked out how to teach you languages while you're sitting on the toilet. It's taught you how to teach languages before you roll over and crash out to sleep. It's found those extra minutes, and those are extra minutes which didn't exist before and can be advertised against. So you take a Duolingo effect and you apply it a bunch, across a bunch of digital merchants I think you're right. The net result is we're finding minutes, we're finding hours that didn't exist previously, and they're crucial minutes and hours that we can advertise with. Yeah, and, and look, Duolingo is an interesting uh, case study because it obviously appeals to a very narrow set of people who decide that they want to learn a language, and they're trying to do a subscription upsell. So when you really get serious about learning the language, they really want you to start paying them 10 bucks a month. Um, and it's, but it's a fascinating business model, and it's been a phenomenal stock. It's up about 140% in the last year, and they have done a great job just simplifying that process of learning a language, whether you're willing to pay full whack for their app or make, giving you a free on-ramp to try before you buy. And their app frequency usage or session count in the game is head and shoulders above anybody else in the app store. It's one to watch yep. for 24 now, last thing, we were a little bit over on time for the break, but before we hit that break button, I'm at a dinner party and somebody says to me, what do you think artificial intelligence is going to do to the world of advertising? That madman world of buying and selling adverts on golf courses, that legacy factor of high street shop. What, what's the world of AI going to do? Are we going to see a revolution in advertising or is it going to waddle along with the same transactional model that it's had for the past few years? So one of the things I really like to do in my job and for bubble trouble is to try to demystify all the jargon that technology throws up uh, for, for segments of the market like advertising. And again, it's a $900 billion business. So, you know, one of the things you've heard about in advertising for the last years is programmatic. Oh, everything's going to be programmatic. And, and, you know, 30 years ago, someone would have done some artwork for a, a newspaper ad, put some letter set writing on it, shipped it over to the printer. They would have blocked it out on the on the page, run it off uh, a few hundred thousand times in the, through the printing presses, and that would be your ad. And all that programmatic means in the advertising world is that you're taking something that is being done billions of times a day, showing, the, showing those ad impressions to the three billion or four billion people on the meta community of, of apps, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, et cetera, and you're, you, you could not do that in manual processes. So all you're doing is you're automating that with, with programs and algorithms to express the preferences of the types of audiences you're trying to reach. Now, what AI is going to do, back to your key question, is it, two things. One, it will make the process of creating the content and tailoring it for specific users that much easier. So you can go to MidJourney or one of these uh, uh, you know, image creation sites. And instead of getting a graphic designer to come up with your image, you can just play around with those platforms to see if they come up with a suitable image. You can also test hundreds of different versions of ads with hundreds of different cohorts of users to see which one gets the fractionally higher click-through rate. And you're seeing a lot of that stuff happen already. 
So really, AI is going to supercharge the automation of that advertising process, whereby you have literally trillions of ad impressions offered out to the advertising world every day and trillions of ads placed against it when you think of all of those billions of users on all those platforms and the number of times even you might search on Google and you get four blue links with with potential ads against it. If you do 10 searches a day times uh, 44 blue links, that's 40 per person and you scale that up by 2 billion people, well, that's a heck of a lot of ad inventory. And you multiply that by all the other platforms you engage with, the outdoor advertising, the audio advertising, the TV content you see, and you can see how there are literally trillions of advertising impressions and it couldn't be handled in a manual way. And AI is just going to help all of that placement uh, and, and selecting the right audience and the right ad for the right audience and make that a, a more and more refined process. So going back to my introduction, ramble slash rant, if half my marketing budget is wasted and I don't know which half and AI improves the tailoring and the testing of those adverts, do I end up wasting more or wasting less or just advertising more as well? Now, we talked about which half is wasted. Another reason for wasted ad spend is ad fraud, and we're going to come back to that in part two. But for the time being, my thanks to Richard Kramer for giving us the foundation of this crazy market, and we'll be back in a moment with more. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Bubble Trouble with myself, Will Page, and our ad expert, our madman himself, Richard Kramer, uh, who's come off Madison Avenue to spend some time on a road microphone and talk to us about what's going to happen to advertising in 2024. And... You know, we talked about which half was wasted. Another cause of waste in advertising is fraud, hmm. where the ad wasn't placed or where the ad was placed somewhere where you didn't want it to be placed, where there was no advert in the first place, despite paying for it. I mean, that's my musings on what fraud might mean. And if I reflect on my world of music, we've got a huge problem with stream fraud. Hmm. We have click farms, we have carbon copies, we have account hacking. Give the audience a very high-level example of if you say fraud in advertising, what are you actually discussing here? What What is a fraudulent action in the world of advertising? Bucket it for us. Yeah, I mean, there there are so many flavors of fraud. It really boggles the mind. And I, I really have a lot of sympathy for the folks that run social media platforms because, you know, you think of their content moderators and they have to expose themselves to all manner of depravity that you would never want to imagine exists in humanity. But but obviously does. And when you think about ad fraud, you've got the same thing going on. So there's one whole category, which is mimicking human behavior with bots, clicking on particular ads. I know a bit about that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Didn't, didn't you get paid in university <laughs> to keep scrolling away? But you, you have this in the music <laughs> industry, right? And, and you have all of this, uh, this, this computer programs written to behave like they're humans and by the way, you can see many instances of where it's, it's evident because, you know, uh, humans don't click evenly throughout the day. 
Humans also don't tend to click heavily at three in the morning and four in the morning and five in the morning and six in the morning. And Or in my, wo- in my world, it's, hey, did you know that your top city on Spotify is Jakarta, Indonesia, and you've never toured there? Yeah. Hmm, I wonder why your top city is Jakarta, Indonesia. Can I add two and two together? Yeah. And, and you've, you've pointed me to lots of websites which say, you know, get, get users on and fill in the blank of a platform. I mean, there were, there were many bots <laughs> available to buy on Twitter where you get, get seasoned accounts with a certain number of, of followers. So you could use that to collect ad impressions. So, so there's that one category, which is somehow mimicking real user behavior. There is also a huge new category, not new, but large category called made for advertising sites. And those are sites which are simply designed, if you go to them directly, you don't see a single ad. But if you go um, with referral traffic or if they buy uh, traffic that can be sent to them from a click, you'll see 50 ads. You might see ads stacked one on top of another. You might see banners on both sides of the, of the page you might there might be ads that load but you never see but those sites are designed simply to absorb traffic and show tons of ads without any real audience there and there are there are many many made for advertising sites and finally you have this vast supply chain of, of digital advertising uh, through the programmatic or real-time bidding world that covers tens of thousands of sites. There was an, an American Association of National Advertisers report in the U.S. which found that J.P. Morgan, one of the biggest banks in the world, was advertising on 44,000 websites. And you just say, what the Jesus. heck is J.P. Morgan doing on all those websites? Because their programmatic partners decided, hey, I can find cheap inventory here, there, and everywhere. Why don't I just carpet bomb the 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 web with ads for J.P. Morgan? And the reality is, is it is, that it, is, most, it, is it like is it akin to carpet bombing programmatic? It is. It is. It and and it and it's also it you you just have this sort of spray and pray advertising <laughs> approach. Most of it, most of the cheap advertising inventory is worthless, but it gets mixed in with very lucrative advertising inventory. Or it's bought because someone thinks they're getting a bargain. Now, I'll Tell come me, spray, on later. So who's, to talk who's, about, who's got, who, who has copyright on the expression "spray and pray"? Is that a Richard Kramer know, classic? But, that, but there's a lot of lot of ads that do that. I mean, if you think about billboard advertising, <laughs> right? And and the idea that you would have some notion of who's driving by your billboard at any given time. Well, that's it's a very generic one. But on the web, you have something similar. You just throw ads out there and you just hope that someone will see them. But there are there are just many, many different flavors of, of ad fraud and malvertising. Now, we one other category it's worth mentioning is this malvertising world, which is those the awful reports you hear on the Today program about scams online. Uh, click here to to get an impossibly lucrative crypto trading platform or to get uh, win a free television. And usually they're there to steal your personal data or steal your money. They prey on old people. Uh, it, it's just awful. But that's all that sort of malvertising designed to steal credit card information or, or other personal data. So there are all these different categories. There's bots, there's made for advertising sites, there's, there's fraudulent impressions, and there's malvertising. And all of that constitutes could be a hundred billion dollars of that nine hundred billion dollar market. Spray and pray. I mean, it, it does. It does make me think about an expression that the company Beat Debt, friends of the show, experts in fraud detection, say, which is fraudsters are going to fraud. So mm-hmm. whatever you try to do to clamp down on this fraudulent behavior, the fraudsters are going to come back up with a a brand new way of bending the system, like whack-a-mole effectively. Like you look at Ticketmaster, Live Nation, whatever you do, just try and stop the touts. It's in vain because the tech's going to have a new way of getting around that system. Is there yeah. anything that can be done about advertising fraud by the big companies like Google, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or the force is just ahead of the curve? So underneath the fraud problem lies some really basic human conflicts of interest. 
One of them is that no chief marketing officer wants to go to their CFO and say, you know what? Our ad budget was $100 million and I wasted about 30 million bucks because I bought some <laughs> advertising that went yeah. under made for advertising sites. No one is going to want to fess up and admit that they showed a lot of ads to computer programs called bots. Uh, and and therefore, there's uh, it's kind of buried. Wait, 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 we, 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 we need a Kramer classic here. You had fear of missing out, then you invented fear of finding out. Yeah. So what's the fear of here? Well, and, and, and the, we, we talked before in a previous Bubble Trouble about FOFO, about fear of finding out. The last thing a CMO wants to do with their agency, which certainly is there to safeguard and make sure that they deliver good performance for their ad budgets, is to find out that they wasted a ton of it. And so a lot of these apocryphal fraud stories, unless they get so big and so bad, they get buried. They simply don't get recognized as they should. And no one wants to raise them to a higher level. None of the agencies want to admit that they wasted clients' money. None of the CMOs want to admit that their advertising was ineffective. And you have a lot of vanity metrics that that get thrown around, like we've got share of voice, or we had a certain. I've got it. I've got it. Spend. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. Into an acronym. It's not FOFO. It's FOOF. Fear of outing fraudsters. Is that what we're well, saying? Well, and 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 <laughs> indeed, the the fraudsters are clever. They know how to disguise their efforts uh, in ways that don't necessarily get detected. And the platforms are complicit in it. Facebook sends a lot of referral traffic to made-for-advertising sites. YouTube was taking in uh, ad spend and sending some of it to YouTube uh, search partners where they were Iranian or Russian-sanctioned websites. So the big platforms are certainly not immune to it by any stretch of the imagination. No one in this industry can be clean of fraud any more than any credit card company or bank doesn't have fraud. They just try to limit it to a reasonable amount. Which half was wasted and which half was fraudsters? That would be a bad outcome well, and, for the CFO. And, and, but yeah. the, the, I think the you know Wanamaker's thesis oh, from way back when is just simply that assume all advertising is is genuine. Assume all of your the the back in back in his day, maybe you were buying the early ad slots on CBS or NBC, and you know what you you bought a national TV advertising advertisement for cigarettes in those days, and half the nation would be smokers and half wouldn't. So you just you know trying to That's switch brands example, among smokers wouldn't work for the non-smokers because they just didn't care. And that was I think the the, the genesis of that. Now I think with targeting you should be able to find much more precise audiences. But a lot of times it's just either the laziness or the vanity metrics of the advertisers and the marketers that leads to the waste. That's always bugged me about advertising is no chief marketing officer wants to go to the CFO and say, I can achieve more impressions with less marketing budget. That's not what they do. Well, they and never I never say... I, Give me a smaller marketing budget, please. And that goes well, back to your point about, oh also, my God, we have there, a Ford issue. There is a core conflict of interest in the agency world because if you're being paid as a percentage of your client's spending, no agency goes to a marketer and says, we've achieved your campaign objective, say awareness in the UK of a new brand. With half the budget you allocated, here's the rest back. I mean, that is an instant <laughs> career terminating move. So the agencies have a huge incentive to sell tonnage of advertising, right? They just want to they want to flood the market. They want to spend every dollar that they've been allocated because they're getting a percentage of it. And the marketer certainly doesn't want to go back to the CMO and a classic of political bureaucracy. No one wants to manage a smaller department. Uh, you want to have more budget and more people because that makes you more important and moves you up the tree, uh, makes you a cooler, bigger, more important person. So, you know, you have these natural um, uh, tailwinds to spending that just simply are, are hard to wind back. And certainly no one wants to admit that a ton of that marketing was really ineffective. Well, let's spend more next year in a better way and we'll be that much more effective. Wow. Um, before we get to smoke signals, I want to switch lanes slightly. You did mention the the sort of 
meta real estate of Facebook. I get that. Lots of banner ads. Instagram, I get that. Huge advertising potential, massive business. And then WhatsApp. Now, if I'm right in thinking, there is no advertising on WhatsApp, but it does capture a lot of my eyeballs and a lot of my ear holes. So you said at the very start of the conversation, it's where the attention is being spent. I would say I spend more time on WhatsApp than any other app on my phone, but no advertising. Just walk me through the the opportunity for WhatsApp to enter the ad market, or is that part of the philosophy, or am I just reading it wrong? I mean, it just seems to me like we have a big elephant in the room, which is I'm spending my time with this app, but I'm not consuming any ads with it. So, uh, you know, when you think about something like a- any messaging platform, whether it's WhatsApp or iMessage or, or Telco SMS, um, a lot of times you don't want to be interrupted in that messaging flow with an ad. And there needs to be some degree of receptivity. Look, you're sit- kicking back watching your Six Nations rugby matches and beer ads come on. That is the most receptive audience you can come across. <laughs> That's why Guinness sponsors the Six Nations, right? So you you, you have to find a, a time when it's appropriate to to insert an ad. Now, there is a category which is growing very quickly on, on WhatsApp, which is called click-to-messaging. So I have had some terrible customer service interactions with companies, and I won't name them of late. And by God, what I really would want to do is just get in a WhatsApp conversation with one person at the company who could solve my issue. And I think a lot of companies are looking at ways that if their clients, customers of any sort, want to interact with them regularly, well, why don't we interact with them the way they're used to interacting with their friends and spouses and neighbors and so forth? And and that's in a sort of click-to-messaging format. So I think that will become a focus for the likes of messaging platforms. But again, a lot of those brand advertising messages or performance advertising messages there when you're in a different part of the funnel, you're, you're searching for a new brand of running shoe, you're thinking about what beer to drink tonight, or you're looking at a, tra- a particular travel destination, that's not necessarily going to be reflected in your messaging flow between you and me or you and your wife or you and other friends. Now, just a little real-time musing here. If you mentioned uh, football or rugby over here and how British sports tend to be continuous, therefore very few air breaks, half-time, full-time, pre-match. In America, you have American football, which I think allows for at least 100 advertisements to be made during the course of a game. It is basically advertising with some sport interspersed in between it. And I think, well, maybe that's why soccer really never took off in America is because it's continuous because you can't advertise against it. Then, just hear me out here, perhaps the introduction of VAR was a conspiracy theory by American advertising moguls to slow the game down so we can start putting advertising breaks into the matches. What do you think to that, sir? Uh, I think it's nonsense because I don't think you have enough time in VAR to to off to, to sort of fire up ads. I do think the if you look at the statistics on 90 of the most 100-watch programs in the U.S. last year were NFL football games. NFL football games for an hour of game time. There's about 18 minutes of actual action. The rest of the time is players running on and off the field and 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 faffing around or doing doing whatever they no, do. No, no, no. The getting... official figure is it's 100 minutes for an American football broadcast is consumed of men standing around. Yes, yes. And, and uh, obviously you <laughs> 100 have... 100 minutes. You have it bowl. The other sports in the U.S., uh, not uh, basketball and uh, and uh, and hockey, ice hockey. You have what's called the TV timeout, and that's well, you know, about a third of the way through the period, we're going to uh, stop the play whenever there's a faceoff I've or seen a, that. I've the seen action, that. and we're going to have a basketball? TV timeout. Yeah, basketball games. They just stop playing. It's like, what's happening? This is a real time sport. Oh, the people on TV need to plug adverts. Absolutely. Yeah, get your priorities wrong. <laughs> All right. Before we go to smoke signals, can I just ask one burning question in the back of my dome? This year's Super Bowl, will the spot rates for advertising in this year's Super Bowl cost more or less than prior years? The the spot rates for Super Bowl ads always tend to go up, partly because the greater fool theory, there's always someone who wants that vanity slot and say, you know, whether it was was FTX having a two-minute ad uh, two years ago at the Super Bowl to to sort of as their coming out party with Larry David and whoever else they had in that ad oh, uh, doesn't goodness. age particularly well. 
um, you know, uh, but, <laughs> but you know, someone will, system, please. And, and by the way, you know, it, 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 one of the reasons comes back to what I said about the vanity metrics and the agencies, they all want the, to, to win the creative awards by having the most compelling Super Bowl slot. And, and that's kind of the showcase uh, centerpiece event for advertisers at the start of the year. So, you know, given how closely it's watched, um, yes, you're going to see a, a ton of money being dumped into there, but it may be at the expense of money that's spent elsewhere down the road. There's also going to be one massive distortion in the ad market this year, which is almost all the big new product launches are going to happen in the first half of the year up through the Olympics and Paris in the summer, because after that, you are going to get into elections in the US, in the UK, in India, and other markets. No one wants to try to get share a voice or launch their new product in the middle of a crazed election season where people are going to be shouting at each other all over the roof from the rooftops. So make advertising great again. You you are going to be seeing a huge spend in the US. Thank goodness it's controlled here in the UK, but a huge spend on political advertising. But no one is going to want to bring a new product to market in September or October that's not well understood. I mean, yes, there'll be a new iPhone in September, but you know, you get one every September. But you're not going to want to try to capture people's attention when their attention is going to be so overwhelmed with the political discourse. And, and I think in that sense, it'll be an unusual year for advertising because you'll have a, a better first half and a worse second half than, than, uh, than normal. All right, smoke signals. Be tight, be tight. Let's just hear out a couple of smoke signals where you think in this mad world of advertising for all of its imperfections, for its dependence on confidence, what are the one or two smoke signals you can give our audience to work out for? And if there's an acronym, you've got to spell it out. I'll do it without any acronyms. One thing you hear again and again and again is, oh, Ads, digital ads are the new rent. You don't have a storefront anymore. The only storefront you have is on Instagram or on, on Google or somewhere else. You have to advertise digitally. Uh, that's your, your rent for and your, your entire marketing budget for a brand. And, you know, that is true to an extent, but physical retail still matters. And the idea of just dumping money into the digital platforms, well, there's lots of cases where it hasn't worked just as often as it's been a phenomenal success. That reminds me of an expression in the music business, which is the algorithm is your new boss. You know, you might have a boss in that record label or streaming service, but the algorithm is a new boss because that's really what is dictating performance these days. Smoke signal number two. So the smoke signal I think I'd look out for in digital advertising is just to be aware of how many conflicts of interest there are. We have this in so many other parts of tech where there's self-important, self-interested rhetoric from the biggest companies about how much value they're adding to, to their clients and, and the agencies saying how, how, how much they, they're, they're dedicated to, the, to return on ad spend and, and performance of their clients. But let's face it, they all want the same thing. They want more of your money. Uh, and all that advertising is designed to sway you one way or another. The, the more you have your own mind made up, the less that advertising is going to influence you. But guess what? They won't stop trying. Uh, there's a huge uh, groundswell of, of desire on the part of CMOs and marketers to grab more budget, be more important, go to cooler conferences, get invited to the, the Facebook and Google top table events. They all want to be uh, those, those CMOs of the year and win those awards at the Con Festival and whether that's really delivering business value or doing more than annoying you when some creepy retargeting ad follows you around the web, that's for listeners to decide. I appreciate that. Good smoke signals. Good session of smoking there. Uh, you're advertising cigarettes nicely to somebody who doesn't smoke. Now, how do I wrap up this podcast? Well, I came into it thinking about John Wanamaker's famous quote, which half is wasted. Now it's like which third was wasted because one third went to four and one third probably did some good. You have three components to Wanamaker as opposed to two. Uh, secondly, I'm just really interested in how you talked about AI improving tailoring of adverts, improving the testing of adverts. The pendulum swings to much more targeted precision in one way, 
And then you refer to programmatic as spray and pray. I, I used to always think about it as carpet bombing, but spray and pray swings the pendulum the other way. So which way are we getting? Are we getting better at targeting this stuff? Or are we just getting more random and careless and carpet bombing in our nature as well? And that's, that's going to be an interesting one for me to follow in the, the year ahead. And for our audience, keep that in mind. Are we actually getting better at advertising? Yes or no? Because programmatic suggests no. AI suggests yo. And the, the two are at odds. And then finally, to really bring it to a close, just that whole point about advertising being the first to suffer and the first to recover in an economic cycle. The first thing a CFO cuts when they know they're going into trouble, the first thing they'll be allowed to expand when they're coming out of trouble. And it's just that thing about confidence and imperfections in the market. Advertising is deeply dependent on confidence, deeply dependent on confidence, but it's riddled with imperfections. And it's the imperfections which could throw it a curveball in 24. I'll give you one one counter to that, which is a lot of times if you're going into a tough, tough cycle, for some companies... For example, the Unilevers and Nestle's and Procter and Gamble's, when they started out this last year in 23, they were expecting a recession. They said, we want to keep our brands front and center because we know that we have the kind of products you'll keep buying. Survival of the fittest. Yeah. And and equally, there's a lot of companies that feel like, well, our results aren't that good. We need to advertise harder. If we know there's going to be fewer than 18 million cars sold in the US this year, there's only going to be 16 well, we better get our share of voice and get our product out there or we're going to end up with a lot of cars on the lot. So sometimes advertising is pushed in a counter-cyclical way because it is a matter of survival for companies, not simply a matter of confidence. And sometimes when an economy is buoyant and everything's chugging along, you don't feel as if you need to advertise because you feel like the world comes to you. I hear it. You sound like a chief marketing officer asking for more marketing budget. Is that correct? <laughs> Don't they always? Richard Kramer, thank you for making sense for the madmen and mad women of advertising. It's been a great crash course for me and our audience. And we'll be back next week with more Bubble Troubles to explore. Thank you so much. If you're new to Bubble Trouble, we hope you'll follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And please... Share it on your socials. Bubble Trouble is produced by Eric Newsom, Jesse Baker, and Julia Nett at Magnificent Noise. You can learn more at bubbletroublepodcast.com. Until next time, from my co-host Richard Kramer, I'm Will Page. 